that's true. My producer, Dale Chadwick, is always watching over me. Okay, we're two minutes to air. Good. Irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You're listening to Animal News Magazine with Nancy DeFabio, only on L.A. Talk Radio. Interesting facts about scorpions, not the rock band. Wildfires burning in the Amazon rainforest are not false fires. Are almonds used water suckers? How ethical is silk? These are just a few of the topics we'll be covering today. Hello, I am William Mayoff. And I am Nancy DeFabio, and welcome to Animal News Magazine. This is a live radio show about animals, and the topics range from animals in science, to animals in entertainment, to animals in religion, to animals in agriculture, everything animals. Animals play an important role in our daily lives as individuals and as a society. So this show is about increasing our knowledge and understanding of the animal world and from that information, you can draw your own conclusions. So our guest today, she'll be hopping on at about 2.30 p.m. Pacific Coast time, which is where we are here in Los Angeles, is Susanna Gardner. She's an animal lawyer. She deals with uh, pet custody in cases of divorce and separation. And I think we're going to have a really interesting conversation with her today. But before we start... You didn't Before, tell me that you were talking today, Nancy, about the you know family law and the custodial problems and situations. I love the theme, and I'm positively anticipating the subject matter of the show, as always. Okay, before we start, a platinum blonde young lady walks into a pet shop and tells the sales guy that she wants to buy a goldfish. He says, okay. He takes her to the goldfish tank, and he politely asks her if she needs an aquarium. While gazing at all the goldfish in the tank, she quickly smiles and says, Oh, I don't care what sign it is. <laughs> I need more of an applause than that. Yeah, there you go. The audience is slow to wake up. All right, back now. Brazil's tourism ambassador, Renzo Grazzi, has said that the wildfires burning in the Amazon rainforest are false fires and threatened to choke French President Emmanuel Macron, who has criticized Brazil's handling of the fires that he considers as an international crisis. Gracie, a former mixed martial artist fighter, said that tourism to his country seemed to be going down because of false fires and said that the Amazon is burning at a normal level. Actually, it's sad. The guy is like out of <laughs> he, his But he's bird. insane. It's he's just a nut job. I think he he must have gotten kicked in the head in MMA mixed it's martial arts. Many times. Many you know, times. Vi- who wants it to burn anyway? It's such a precious... Well, he wants it to burn because he makes money with the loggers and it's so terrible. on. But anyway, carry deforest on. Deforest our planet. Disgusting. As of last week, 9,000 wildfires were raging simultaneously across the vast rainforest of Brazil and spreading even into Bolivia, Paraguay, and Peru. The fires largely set intentionally to clear land for cattle ranching, farming, and logging have been exacerbated by the dry season. They're now burning in massive numbers, an 80% increase over this time last year. Set on purpose. Unbelievable. For the thousands of mammal, reptile, amphibian, and bird species, that's bird species, that live in the Amazon, the wildfires impact will come in two phases. One immediate, one long term. The rainforest is uniquely rich and diverse precisely because it doesn't really burn. The rainforest is not built for fire. In this situation, a lot of animals will die from flames, heat from the flames, or smoke inhalation. Nancy, if I could just interject, don't they get a lot of medicinal discoveries from the beautiful rainforest Absolutely. here? Absolutely. For, for, for medical, you know, Absolutely. For, 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 
for, for medication to help people, sick people. Absolutely. They can get natural stuff to heal people from, from those. There are people just... from the Western Hemisphere who go there right. to study from the old tribes people on how to make medicine, right, to natural medicine to heal people or, prevent, for, or preventive measures. So even it's if you guys uh, don't care about animals, care about healing, holistically, right. chemically, a lot of discoveries are made in these right. rainforests. They're so priceless. Right. Plus, they help us breathe. They pre- the oxygen, the oxygen. The trees, yeah. There you go. Large, fast-moving animals like jaguars and pumas may be able to escape, as may some birds. But slow-moving animals like sloths and anteaters, as well as small creatures like frogs and lizards, will probably die, unable to move out of the fire's path quickly enough. This is terrible. Nancy, what's a sloth? I have no idea. Okay, well, we've, we are... The show of Bill Nye. Uh, Dale, and, and, can you look up what that is? Yeah. It's uh, like you. A sloth? A jay sloth. <laughs> I grew up a, with jay It doesn't cloth. do anything. It's an animal that just hangs out probably in trees and just, that's okay. it. And They're usually a... referred to the lazy people as sloths. Okay, so it's, uh, it's I guess it's a mammal. Yeah. It's a mammal yeah, that hangs for... around in trees. Yeah. Okay, thank you. How big are sloths? Like a small monkey. Oh, okay. Almost. <clears throat> no wonder they call me a sloth. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, Dale. <laughs> well, you're they're always much smiling big. too. Okay. They're always happy. That's oh me. well, no, they're not happy right now. Thank if there's any yeah. left, it's so bad. It's just a terrible tragedy. This. Animals. Let's continue while you do that. Some research for us, if you wouldn't mind. Animals in small rivers or creeks, which are highly biologically diverse, could be in trouble. Water-dwelling amphibians, which need to stay partially mm. above water in order to breathe would be in harm's way. Fire. Oh, yeah, okay. William, they, you look just like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they're so cute. They look a little bit like gibbons. They yeah, look they kind of like koala bears. There you go, yeah. koalas, and they're not They bears. just, like, smile and stand at a tree all yeah. day. They're so adorable. So everybody in, in the audience, from the four corners of the globe, they're delightful. They should be on the cereal box. They are beautiful. Their sloth is yeah. just on the But they're burning. Field. They're burning like crazy right now. Well, that's majorly disgusting and effed up. Okay. Yeah, tell, tell uh, what's his name? Tell Bolsonaro that. Go, everyone in our listening audience and beyond, go look up a sloth. S is in Sam, L-O-T-H, they're adorable animals. They, everybody knows what a sloth is. Well, I don't. So even if they're not as cute and pretty as a sloth, it looks like a koala. Help us save the rainforest in Brazil from dumb, uh, dumb... A dumb mixed government? Mixed martial arts, mixed martial yeah. arts. Well, he's got hell, no, yeah, no Exactly. Anyway, fire could also change water chemistry to the point that it isn't sustainable for life in the short term. Brazil never had decent water. Longer-term effects are likely to be more catastrophic. The entire ecosystem of the burning sections of rainforest will be altered. For example, the dense canopy of the Amazon rainforest largely blocks sunlight from reaching the ground. Fire opens up the canopy bringing in light and fundamentally right. changing the ecosystem. I never knew when you right. What an informative show you have, Nancy. I love the show yeah. so much. Seriously. Okay. So it shields us. Look at all the multi, multifaceted benefits. Yeah. This Nature is amazing. How it, yeah. And people, then we come around and we destroy it. So, so. people got to talk this up around school. Kids in the schools, parents, PTAs, parents, yeah. you do something for us. Not just because it's far away. It has nothing to do with us. It has a lot to do with us just because it's in Brazil. This can have catastrophic effects on the entire food chain. Surviving in a fundamentally transformed ecosystem would be a struggle for many species. Lots of amphibians, for instance, have textured, camouflaged skin that resembles the bark or leaves of a tree, allowing them to blend in. Mm -hmm. Now, all of a sudden, the frogs are forced to be on a different background. They become exposed to predators. Why does it really hurt? The right. ecosystem. It's terrible, the ecosystem. Yeah, it really horrible. does. And many animals in the Amazon have evolved and adapted to thrive, <coughs> pardon me, in specific habitats. Toucans. I know that through mm. cereal also. Toucans. Those are the birds, birds with the big beaks, for instance, eat fruits that other animals can access. Mm. Their long beaks help them reach into otherwise inaccessible crevices. Wildfires. Mm decimating the fruit of the, for the, the, the these birds feed on depend upon would likely place the local toucan populations into crisis spider monkeys live high in the canopy to avoid competition below what happens when you lose the canopy they're forced into other areas with more competition once you take the rainforest away you lose 99 percent 
of all species. This is sad. This is terrible. Yeah, just a little background. So there's recently been a fundamental change in policy in Brazil. Uh, the new government, uh, the new administration encourages deforestation. Um, obviously, it's a right-wing president, right-wing uh, government. And uh, Jair, or Jair Bolsonaro himself uh, admitted, I mean, he's basically shamelessly committed to open up the Amazon for business. Like you said in the news story there, um, he's uh, making money with loggers, poachers. It's just, it's just nuts over there. Uh, he has a very strong anti-environmental policy and basically has no intention of protecting the Amazon. He pledged to roll back protections. He, he affirmatively pledged um, to roll back protections not only of the forest but also the indigenous uh, people there, the indigenous rights of people who pass on all these medicinal you know, uh, recipes and who protect these animals. So... Um, Actually, reports are circulating that uh, his victory has already bolstered a sense of impunity among the groups who want to, you know, poach and um, exotic species, traffic in timber, just rape the indigenous land. He's he's horrible. Um, and there are also people in living in the Amazon who say that since he took office, the invasions have increased. People going into the rainforest with no regard for any rules. No fear of any, uh, no fear of the authorities. So, uh, I'll, I'll, he's also he's been criticized for sure, uh, but also people are really concerned that um, there's this global demand for beef. It actually incentivizes the accelerated clearing of land for cattle ranching. Uh, so, is there uh, anything we could do about this? Our list well, is what efforts can we promote? Or you know, we made little species that we never knew was there. Right. Now, you know, we were listening to Bill Maher, and I think he has a good idea. Jeff Bezos, George Soros, billionaires. Excellent. I mean, all Bolsonaro cares about Bill is Gates. Bill Gates' money. They care about If you offer him, instead of buying Greenland, why the hell don't we buy the Amazon forest, you Excellent know? Idea. Bill Maher did have He'll sell idea. it. Everybody has a price. So so he's worth like $168 billion, Jeff Bezos, so he can take a small portion of that and do something yeah. and preserve that and keep, keep the because, legacy because for even if the First of all, I mean, I don't know, it, it, would never, it will never be the same, but even if you save a few species or a few trees or a few herbs out there, Bolsonaro is determined to totally rape that. He's going to make money with the cattle ranchers, with the loggers. Exotic species is going to, I mean, it's over. As far as you know if he's going to stay do? in government, it's over. I'm just thinking. Unless, also, unless we have the, the good fortune of somebody going there and killing him, but, you know. No, no, no. We don't advocate <laughs> any violence. We love it. We, we do everything through peaceful means. That's yeah. Nancy's Italian background. That's see? right. But here, here's another thing we can do besides getting, you know, and, and, and putting on the spot Bill Gates and. And Jeff Bezos and these megazillionaires and maybe Richard Branson who want to do something. Oh, for the Richard Branson. They can help. And some of right. them are conscious. I mean, put your money where your mouth is, some right? Some of them are conscious. Some of them yeah. do contribute. You were around saying you care about the environment. You care. So put your money where your mouth even is. Even Paul McCartney, everybody, they should, should pitch in. Uh, but another thing we could do is, uh, you know, economic boycotts, boycotts and all that, and embargoes yeah. and, and uh, sanctions. The, yeah. co- the world community can look to sanctions like yeah. they're doing with Iran. Sometimes they're very effective. Yeah, we could try that anyway. <clears throat> yeah, sanctions, right? Yeah. Yeah, sanctions work. So. <clears throat> Pardon me. N- next news item here are almonds. Or almonds. There's a, You guys should Google this commercial. It's a Snickers commercial with almonds, almonds. And the guy mispronounces it, and he bugs the driver so much the driver commits suicide. So this is an almond this story and uh, it, it's very thematic and great stuff. Nancy's the editor here, okay? So are almonds or almonds and other nuts really water suckers? According to National Geographic, 70% of the planet is covered by water, but only 2.5% of it fresh. This means a very small percentage of the world's water is drinkable. An MS estimated 3 in 10 people worldwide. 2.1 billion lack access to safe drinking water. That's sad. It is. What's more, the world as a whole is running out of fresh water. A 2015 report from NASA, NASA found that the world's largest aquifers, water, countless 
almond growing is sometimes portrayed as a drain on California's water resources. The almond industry brings in an astounding $11 billion annually since the popularity of almonds has gone up over the last couple of years. California supplies 80% of almonds in the U.S. To grow one almond requires 1.1 gallons of water. Nancy, one almond requires 1.1 gallon of water? one nut. One friggin' nut? Yes. And to grow a pound of almonds takes 1,900 gallons. Yes. One pound of beef requires 1,800 gallons. We're not advocating to eat beef. We want you to eat the Impossible Burgers, the Beyond Burgers, and the Incognito. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about that later by by Sure, if we have time, we can talk about the Incognito. Yeah. Kellogg's and Morningstar Farms, they're they're getting into the fray. Wonderful. Almonds use about 10% of California's total water supply, or 80 million gallons each year. Alfalfa hay requires even more water, about 15% of California's water supply. Right. Nobody talks about alfalfa, though. Nobody does, because they're too busy eating it. About 70% of alfalfa grown in California is used in dairies, and a good portion of the rest is exported to land-poor Asian countries like Japan. The water used for exported hay amounts to about 100 billion gallons per year. While several factors contribute to the depletion of fresh water, one of the main causes is animal agriculture. Right. About one-third of the world's water consumption is for producing animal products. According to data from the Pacific Institute and National Geographic, a single egg takes 53 gallons of water to produce a pound of chicken, 468 gallons gallon of cow's milk, 880 gallons. What do we conclude from that? Well, in a regular diet, okay, you will consume, your water footprint will be higher because how many people eat a pound of almonds a day? If you're even a vegetarian, you know, you'll have three eggs, 150 gallons. I don't know how much cheese. I think cheese is in there somewhere, how much cheese is. So ultimately, there's a there's a website. I think it's on the document there. It's okay. called waterfootprint.org. We'll continue to go over the... Yeah, and that will, if you... How many people... Because I, I, everybody's running around saying, oh, you know, almonds, they consume so much water. Yeah, yeah okay. But first of all, the tree reproduces itself. You don't cut the tree down. It makes more flowers and more almonds. Plus, I had like two ounces at work the other day. Two ounces, a little bag, a little pre-packed. That was 300 calories. Two ounces. That's that's a lot of almonds. So you can't compare on a regular, on a daily basis. At the end of the day, if you're just unless you're, if you're a vegetarian, even a vegan is even better. Your water footprint will be lower. Okay. It will be low. So, so the uh, the background to this, vegan vegetarian diets are more environment friendly because they use m- less water. I mean, one pound right? of tofu is a little over two hundred two hundred fifty gallons. Who eats one pound of tofu? You know. But I think if you have a little bit of chicken, a little bit of you know, a little bit of uh, red meat, you're probably going to meet the quota of the, you know, you're going to exceed a pound of tofu. You will exceed a pound of tofu. What are our listeners to bring home from this? I sh- I think listeners should go to waterfootprint.org and go and write down everything they they their, their showers, their their dishes, all the water they consume in a day. I'm more concerned about the dietary facts. I but know, but they should avoid certain foods, one health yeah. too, because they'll consume less water and we'll or just be- eat less of it. Have one less egg a day. Have you know less They're cheese good. or have. Instead of eating chicken and meat, and red meat, they just have chicken. You know, try to, you know, I'm not telling people to go cold turkey. People have, and, you know, and, should and, do what they want. But I, I don't know what goes around on the globe, you know, Europe and North America and wherever you hear our signal and our broadcast. But there was a bus shelter here in Burbank that said just that. So someone cares about it, public service announcement. And the bus shelter, the advertisement said, don't waste an egg, don't throw it out. Right. Because it takes, like it says here in what we're explaining, one single egg takes 53 gallons of yeah. water. So you might toss it someplace, but you're really wasting 53 gallons of water. Wow. For you one, waste one, an egg. one egg. And Terrible. I think the cheese is a little over 800 gallons, but I think it's there on the document. But I think one pound of cheese. One th- yeah, one third pound hamburger requires 660 gallons of water to produce. We, we don't bring this into our consideration because we don't know about these things. 
Growing crops to feed animals for food consumes 56% of water in the U.S. Okay? So we started off this, 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 this analysis with 70% of the globe is, 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 is water, but right. only 2% of it is fresh water. Right. So it's a precious commodity. Absolutely. That's what, this is what this show, we care about what's going on, folks. Animal agriculture is responsible for 20 to 33% of all fresh water consumption in the world. Livestock and meat production have one of the largest water footprints of the agricultural industry. Livestock production is also one of the most resource-intensive agricultural outputs. Livestock's large water consumption is partly attributed to the amount of time it takes to raise an animal to slaughter. That's why they want it to go quickly. And, and it's not that the animals so much drinking the water. They don't drink, cows don't drink that much water. It's the, 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 the food you have to give them that costs, costs a lot of water. To fatten them up for slaughter. Right. In contrast to corn, which grows to maturity in about 100 days, it takes about 1,000 days of water to grow cattle. Yeah, to grow cattle, it's a chattel to these folks. A pound of chicken requires 71% more water to produce than a pound of soy, 468 gallons. One pound of cheese requires 600 gallons of water. Where do chickens get their water? They, they, they drink water from a, like a trough? I think they drink, yeah, um, but it's not so much the drinking part. It's the food that, that they have to eat, uh, the, the, the feed that costs uh, a lot of water. But, you know, you know what's going to help And you? I think cheese is 800. I'm not sure it's 600, but whatever. Whatever it is, it's still a pound. I mean, it's still a lot. One gallon of milk, 880 gallons of water. I saw a clip, okay, that Israel desalinates the water in the yeah. Mediterranean. They've got very advanced machinery, expensive as it is. Yeah. But they take that salt water and they take the salt out of it. And, and, and again, the billionaires, the conscience of the world should come together and copy. It's in existence. It's science. It's in Israel. Because animals are so densely packed on today's industrial farms, they produce more manure than can be absorbed by the land as fertilizer. The runoff from these facilities grossly contaminates rivers and groundwater. Right. Animal excrement and agriculture runoff have polluted nearly one-third of the rivers in the U.S. To find out your water fit footprint, go to watercalculator.org. That's watercalculator.org. Okay, Any I was comments, wrong. Nancy? No, watercalculator.org. I had the name wrong. But go there and actually let me, before we go further... I think it's a good uh, little quiz to take, and um, it's a little too late today to give us a call because we're going to have a guest on in about nine minutes, but um, the number here to call anytime is 323-203-0815, and you can go to my website, nancy at animallawlawyer.com, and let me know what the results are, uh, who you are and what the results are, and are you a plant-based person? Are you a vegetarian? Are you just uh, an omnivore, a pescatarian? They're calling in or they're going to your website? No, they can go to my <laughs> website and they can actually call us next Sunday at 2 o'clock and let us know what the results are. So uh, I look forward to finding out. I haven't done a test for me yet. At 2 o'clock West Coast time. Okay. Yeah, two o'clock West, West Coast, correct. The U.S. and West Coast time. Pacific Before we, time. you know, I want to... Let's uh, let's carry on. Let's go on. All right. You ready? I'm ready. And you want to preview the guest that you're having coming up in uh, whatever minutes? Santa Gardner. Yes. She, she deals with pest custody. It's She'll a custodial be on in, lawyer. Uh, a lawyer's she's a custodial lawyer for pets. There you go. Unlike insects, which generally deposit eggs outside their bodies, scorpions produce live babies, a practice known as viviparity. Some scorpions develop within a membrane where they receive nourishment both from a yolk and from their mothers. Others develop without a membrane and receive nourishment directly from their mothers. The gestational stage can be as short as two months or as long as 18 months, depending on the species. After birth, the newborn scorpions ride on a mother's back, much like humans, where they remain protected until they molt for the first time. After this, they disperse. Scorpions are arachnids. Mm. Scorpions are arthropods that belong to the class Archnida. The arachnids, 
The arcanids include speech therapy, which I need to say all these weird <laughs> Latin friggin' insects. Okay, the harvestmen, ticks and mites, and all manner of scorpion-like creatures that aren't really scorpions. Whip scorpions, pseudoscorpions, and wind scorpions. Like their arachnid cousins, scorpions, scor- scorpions have two body parts. Cephalothorax and abdomen and four pairs of legs. Four pairs of legs. Four pairs. They have a long lifespan. Most arthropods have relatively brief lives compared to other animals. Many insects live just weeks or months. Mayflies last just a few days, but scorpions are among the arthropods with the youngest, excuse me, the longest lifespans. In the wild, scorpions typically live from two to ten years. Wow. They are ancient organisms. Huh. Were you able to travel back in time 300 million years, you would encounter scorpions that look remarkably similar to their descendants living today. Fossil evidence shows that scorpions have remained largely unchanged since the Carboniferous period 350 to 300 million years ago. The first scorpion ancestors likely lived in the seas and may even have gills. They have had gills. Uh, by the Silurian period, 420 million years ago, some of these creatures had made their way onto land. They can survive just they can survive just about anything. Arthropods lived on land for 400 million years. Modern scorpions can live as long as 25 years. That's no accident. Scorpions are champions of survival. The scorpion can live for a full year without food because they have book lungs like horseshoe crabs. They can stay submerged underwater for up to 48 hours and survive. Scorpions live in harsh, dry environments, but they can live on only the moisture they obtain from their food. They have extremely low metabolic rates and require only a tenth of the oxygen of most insects. Scorpions seem virtually indestructible. Wow. Like cockroaches. They glow in the dark. This is fascinating, Nancy. What a fascinating show you have. I didn't know scorpions glow in the dark. For reasons that scientists are still debating, scorpions glow under ultraviolet light. The scorpion's cuticle or skin absorbs ultraviolet light and reflects it as visible light. This makes the work of scorpion researchers considerably easier. They can take a black light in the scorpion habitat at night and make their subjects light up. Or light show. Though only about 600 scorpion species were known a few decades ago, scientists have now documented and collected close to 2,000 kinds of scorpions by using UV lights to locate them. When a scorpion molts, its new cuticle is initially soft and doesn't contain the substance that causes fluorescence. So recently molted scorpions don't glow in the dark. Scorpion fossils can still fluoresce, despite spending hundreds of millions of years embedded in rock. And, by the way, they eat just about anything, like people you know. Scorpions are nocturnal hunters. Most scorpions prey on insects, spiders, and other arthropods, but some feed on grub and earthworms. Larger scorpions can eat larger prey, of course, and some are known to feed on small rodents and lizards, while many will eat whatever they find that seems appetizing, others specialize in particular prey, such as certain families of beetles or burrowing spiders. A hungry mother scorpion will eat her own babies if resources are scarce. And scorpions, this is what we see on TV and all that, they are venomous. Right. Yes, scorpions do produce venom. The scary-looking tail is actually five segments of abdomen curved upward with a final segment called a telson at the end. The telson is where the venom is produced. At the tip of the telson, a sharp needle-like structure called the acylis. That's the venom delivery apparatus. The scorpion can control when it produces venom and how potent the venom is depending on whether it needs to kill prey or defend itself from predators. Scorpions aren't that dangerous to people. Okay. Sure, scorpions can sting, and being stung by a scorpion isn't exactly fun, 
But the truth is, with few exceptions, scorpions can't do much harm to humans. Of the nearly 2,000 known species of scorpions in the world, only 25 are known to produce venom powerful enough to pack a dangerous punch to an adult. Young children are at greater risk simply because of their smaller size. In the U.S., there's only one scorpion that is worth worrying about, the Arizona bark scorpion. Centroroidus, scoopteritis, does produce venom strong enough to kill a small child. Mm. Fortunately, antivenom is widely available in medical facilities throughout its range, so deaths are rare. I, before, I just one quick, quick note I want to make about the scorpions. They actually dance before mating. They actually oh, do a yeah. dance. So what happens is... Just um, like the gibbons, Nancy. There's a, like yes, the kind of like the gibbons. There's an, elor- an elaborate courtship that goes on. It's known as the promenade à deux. So it's literally a walk for two. So, so the dance begins when the male and the female, they make contact, right? They start, you know, doing the disco thing. And... Um, so in the wild, the male usually tries to make a quick departure once the mating is completed. But in captivity, like because the female often devours their mate having worked up an appetite after all that dancing. So yeah. So, so he doesn't she, want to be eaten. That's right. So he, but he takes it, off. There's a lot of human uh, similarities there. Yeah, yeah. Also, another thing I want to say about... <laughs> Another thing I want to say about scorpions before we get on the call with our... Oh, here. Okay, I'll talk about it another time. Hello, this is Nancy. You're on LA Talk Radio. Hello? Hi, Nancy. It's Susanna Gartner. Thank you for having me. Hi, Susanna. So you're on the air here with me and my co-host, William Mayoff. Welcome, Susanna Gartner. Hi, William. Well, hi there. Welcome Thank aboard. you so much. So before we get started, could you please tell us a little bit of who you are, where you're located, what you do? Sure, I'd, I'd love to. So uh, I am an animal law lawyer, and uh, I am uh, located in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I did live in California for a while, so I'm very happy and excited to be with you today to talk about my favorite topic in the world, pet custody. <laughs> where, in, where, in L- where in California did you live? Uh, we lived in Newport Beach. Oh, very nice there. <laughs> very, very nice. How yes, long ago? How long ago? Where are you located? Are you in Los Angeles? We're in the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles. So, how long ago was this Newport Beach? Oh, this was uh, thirteen years ago. Okay, well, it's changed. You know, it's changing, uh, not in a good way. So, just letting you oh, know. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> My son was born there, so we're hoping to go back one day. We'll see. Well, it's good to visit. You just you a know, lot of animal lovers there. That's yes, for sure. Absolutely, and, absolutely, and, you know, and so many exciting developments happening in California. Absolutely. So that's wonderful to see. And yeah. as you know, they just passed the fur ban here in California. So that, that, yes, yes, it's so exciting. Absolutely. Actually, I'd like to have you back on the show, maybe to talk a little bit about Ontario and their laws on on animal, you know, law-related stuff. But um, why is, uh, you just said that uh, it's your favorite topic in the whole world. Um, How long is this? Related to animals, I should say. Okay, how long is, why, when did this start? When did you, I mean... Develop this passion or this interest uh, towards animals and then... It, you know, animal custody and all this. It's a beautiful topic. I mean, how did you get to the point where your work now is animal custody? Yeah. I mean, how did how did that start? When did it start? Give how did you get bio. there? Give us your bio, yeah. Okay, so, uh, well, similar to you, Nancy, so I did, I did uh, do my homework as well, and I read your bio, so I was very intrigued to read that you were interested in becoming a veterinarian, correct? Yeah, correct. So, <laughs> similar to you, yeah, I've always... Um, loved animals and have had a passion for them and wanted to somehow um, do something animal related and I didn't know what that would be. So uh, over the years throughout law school, as you know, uh, animal law has only recently become a popular topic. So um, I wasn't able to marry my love of animals with the law um, until years later. So I I did practice uh, for a while. Um, I did corporate law, um, but always had this interest for animals. And um, one day just decided to start a practice in animal law in Canada. So it is the first practice um, that deals exclusively with animal law, at least at that point. That was about six years ago. 
And coincidentally, the reason that I say my favorite topic in the world in this area is to talk about pet custody is um, when I started the practice and put up my website, had a phone number, and wondered what kind of case would come through the door. And lo and behold, it was a pet custody dispute. So it cemented my my passion because it was through that experience because you'd asked me to think about um, a case, for example. And it is that first case that really cemented my my passion for this area because I really did realize that the laws were inadequate and unfair to deal with an actually very, very lovely couple. They were separating, uh, going their separate ways. Both clearly adored the dog equally, and I was there the right time, the right place to help them formulate an agreement, a shared custody agreement that probably would not have worked if they had gone through the court system at that time. So, um, and th- they're still sharing the dog um, years later, and they have they have an amicable relationship. Um, so that worked out really, really well. I would say. What would have happened if they would have gone through the court system? Well, it would, have pro- it would have been most definitely a very different um, outcome. Um, as you know, pets are considered personal property. Channel, and channel. so. Yeah, right, channel. like a clock. I have an channel. article on my website. My cat is not a clock. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. So, yes, exactly. Like a clock, like a car. Uh, you know, that saying a car is just a thing, it can be replaced, but the dog can't be replaced to a person that has a very close relationship that's adopted a dog and is going to be separating. So um, if that dispute had gone to court, then the uh, property analysis principle would likely be applied, which would be who bought the dog, for example, who um, purchased the dog, who paid the vet bills, the dog food, pet insurance, grooming, etc., and that is the person that would have the custody and possession of the dog. And in that first case, for example, it would have been very sad because clearly both, both parties had an equal interest to this, um, to this dog who to them was considered, I'd like to say, a child. Right. They didn't have children. So that's what I've also noticed in my practice. So, so, the, so who in this particular case, did they buy the dog together or did somebody come into the marriage with the dog? Well, it just depends on on the scenario. It can be it can be all kinds of different scenarios. Typically, the property law test um, would would um, look at the purchase price, who bought the dog, and who can show title for the dog. I'm using a dog as an example, of course. Yeah, no, of course. All of us know that a pet can include many other yeah. uh, types of animals. So I don't mean to disrespect other other uh, companion animal uh, guardians at all. It's just the dog seems to be the the most uh, commonly um, noted animal in pet custody disputes, I'm at least in about, my practice. I, I'm thinking about the scenario. I mean, is it community property in Ontario? Yes. Okay, so what if uh, a couple, they're married for a year, they go in a rescue place, get a cat, and uh, they adopt it together, they pay for it together, the, so they share the costs and everything. What would happen in a situation like that? I mean, is it it's community Going property. Custody. Joint custody, maybe. But if they get joint custody, or because it's still chattel, I mean, I'm trying to figure out how would the, how do you think Beautiful. in a scenario like that? What do you think would be the best outcome for, if they go through the court system? What I think would be the best outcome is what's happening in, in the laws now, and, and actually, I'm very excited to share with you. You probably already know this that uh, recently in California. About a year ago, it must be over a year now, uh, California became the third state in the United States um, to adopt a law that would allow judges to consider right. not only the property test, what we just talked about, but that best interests of the animal. Right. So that in that this type of scenario, a judge would not only look at who purchased the, the cat, for example, and as you said, what if it was equally split? And I've had that happen as well before. Um, and in that case, it would be who actually took care of the animal um, so that that would be uh, taken into consideration. And when I say that, it means who fed the animal, who cuddled with the animal, right. who, who the animal would be interested in, in, uh, in staying with, for example. Susanna, right. Susanna, the test here, I love the, the, obviously the press and the analogy with children and all that because, because they're precious and you're right, some people, that's their children. And a lot of us treat our pets as our children. 
But, it, you know, the key yes. test here, I'm an attorney also, the key test here in oh, California yes. is the best interest of the child. And I like how you, yes. you, you said that resoundingly, the best interest of the pet, the animal, the dog. So, I really, you know, it, this is great. You know, I'm, i I got to tell you from my point of view that, that uh, you know, you couldn't have this discussion 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. A dog, a right. cat was a chattel. Who cares? It's, it's, it's a tennis right. ball. You know, it's it's a little tennis racket. Get out of here. You know, go. You get another fight. Yes. You get another. Absolutely. Fido. Yeah. You get another fight. but but I, I I can Nancy's bringing it to everyone's attention. You out in the in the trenches there. I salute all you guys for for really honestly to 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 bring because people love their animals. They're devastated when when, when they, they they get sick or die, and and to yes. elevate this. No, this is like if I could have a mutual or praising you guys. To sure. bring this up notches. I'll take all the praise yeah, I can get. Yeah, no, really you do. And <laughs> it's delightful that, 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 that she's got to run out and go get me a Harvey's Veggie Trio, but yeah. the whatever, okay? <laughs> That's what she's got to do for me, Susanna. But, but, oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate you saying that. Oh, and, yeah. uh, well, Nancy and having wait, this show. Wait, wait, we're not saying again, goodbye to you. it's all wait. helping to raise the status of our beloved pets. Exactly. And clearly there's a shifting societal attitude. As you said, 10 years ago, we wouldn't necessarily be able to have this discussion exactly. on the consideration of the best interests of the animal. There you go. 10, 15, 20 years ago, we'd be considered a whole bunch of hippies crazy, okay? And, and that, now <laughs> yes, it's gained it's cognizable in the in the in the, in the judicial process. Right. I'm, I'm loving it. I salute both. Yeah, of you guys. there is a shift. There is a shift going There's on. A shift. Sure. There's a shift. <laughs> do, do you have any situations people just can't agree? They just fight, and I mean, it ends. Oh up yes, really? Yes, oh, yes, wow. yes. Wow. I do. I do. Yeah, it's very it's very sad. There are situations. They're very they're very rare. Um, when I can sense that one party is using the pet as you know, a crux in the separation, for like example. Use a child. I can think of a right. couple of paces. It's cruel. So what what happened? I mean, does the, do they eventually come to an agreement? Does it end up in front of a judge, or how, what? What would be? What's usually the outcome in a case like that, where they'll fight? You know, like couples will fight over they'll they'll use kids as pawns, children. So I guess yes. they'll use the dog yes. or the cat or the bird as a pawn. So what is usually the outcome? I mean, uh, what? Well, do, they, I guess they before, battle out in court, a judge. Do or they battle out in court, or do they come to their senses? It can it can go both ways. So in some cases, uh, they come to their senses. One person may uh, may stop the the dispute, may just give up. Um, for example, I'm, I can think of a few in my mind. But one example that comes to to my mind was um, a couple. It was just a very contentious. Uh, separation, which of course made it very difficult for me. I happen to be a mediator as well, so I, I am a lawyer attorney, but I'm a mediator, so I'm trained to try to help parties resolve their disputes out of court, and I, I try my best to always do that. Um, however, when the disputes are very contentious and, and they're very upset at each other, for example, someone has been unfaithful and, you know, the other person's very attached to the to the cat and they'll use that as you said as a pawn and i found that the person that has a stronger claim legal claim um if it were to go to court would be the one that that holds the the power in that in that type of situation and in some of those cases it's not possible to help them so it's best resolved through a judicial decision so yes some of those cases do end up going through the courts um and that is sometimes necessary unfortunately because they don't want to share custody which is what i help parties do formulate an agreement where they can share the, the pet for example okay i have a question susanna now is yes? this is this you know custody of pets i'm loving this topic but is this something unique to the rich is this middle class people good question or people come to you What's the theater of this? Uh, what are your That's a great question. What's the profile? I love your question. Yeah. I love it. I we'll, love we'll it. We'll have you on again. Susanna. I was actually thinking we'll about today. So this is coincidentally okay. when I was thinking about cases, and I realized today, thanks to this interview, so you've inspired me now to write a blog about this, which is great. Cool. 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 Is that I've had people come through all walks of life. Wow. So I've had rich. I've had poor. Oh. I've had um, straight couples. Um, gay couples, uh, elderly, and I've even had situations where they're not even a couple, where they've been roommates. Oh, wow. I had one case where uh, roommates decided to um, dispute over uh, the cat, 
that uh, they both ended up becoming attached to. And they had no, there was no, obviously, it wasn't a romantic relationship. So, so if that can answer your question better, then I'd say from all walks of life. Wow. Now, these people, do yeah, they also which is, have... Yeah, which is fascinating, right? All kinds of cultures. Just the love of our companion animals really seems to break those boundaries. Right, exactly. And your law which is really cool. I love it. And your law firm's open to all, you don't have to be rich and in uh, Rosedale in Toronto, you know. <laughs> that's a very, very oh, well, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I try my best, if I can put it that way. I have students that assist, and, and I mean, we, we do try to help people as much as we can. Aren't you impressed that I know um, Rosedale? At the same time, it is a business, of course. I'm impressed that you know Rosedale Thank in you. Toronto. Thank you. My high school <laughs> yeah. friend goes, uh, lives probably. Yeah, anyways. from a long time ago, oh, from okay. another, so another have you been era. Toronto? Because we have the film festival on now. Oh, that's nice. No, no. Um, I, uh, I, I, another question I have: So these people with yep. these pets, do, do they also have children, like the live, ch- normal, like children, children, or are they usually just like pets, no kids? I would say the majority of of the clients um, don't have children. Right. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. What so, the, so I would, I for certainly there are, are there are some, um, but yeah, but the majority of them do not have pets and. That that then becomes um, I realize a dispute over their child. There you they're go. very emotional. They're very it's attached, analogous, and of it's. Yeah. So, Suzanne, let me ask you this question: so Do you ever have hearings? And I appreciate that you're a mediator too, in between trying to get the people to uh, see common ground. But can you petition the court, right, to to assist you in in, in resolving this? Both parties stipulate to have a judge. Uh, is that how it ultimately culminates? Tell me if it can't be resolved and you have to uh, seek judicial intervention. How do you go about doing that? I think it's a hearing. Well, I mean, you can go through the family court system, uh, which is which is one one uh, option, um, or you can start litigation proceedings um, through uh, through the court system through civil means to try to uh, to get access uh, custody of your pets so it can go in both directions I found that through the family courts when I've had cases uh, the judges are are not uh, usually very um, happy <laughs> to receive these these types of cases although that too is changing the, t- the the tides are changing I find the judges are more open and willing to consider these types of decisions that's and what I like was in going California, for example, right. the best interest of the animal right. being considered, that's in family court. Right. But, so, but, but, so Susanna, people going you, through divorce. You touch on a good topic. So you file a petition, whatever legal papers, you have judges that are respectful or, 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 or do they condescend, like kind of condemn it and say, get out of here, it's a challenge. It goes both ways. Yeah, yeah, it goes both ways. It really does. And that's why I'm not, I'm not someone that really favors the judicial system yeah. for pet custody cases. Yeah. No matter how exciting and amazing you know, our, our laws are in terms of moving forward and, and trying to keep right. up with the societal attitudes, right. um, as you said, there are sometimes judges that just clearly have no interest in hearing about this and will even dismiss cases. Um, I remember a case that came out, I'm not going to say exactly where, it was somewhere in oh. Canada, and uh, the judge um, was very displeased. It was an appeal case and, and essentially um, had stated that the, the dog was uh, to be treated the same way as, um, as the cutlery right. in the, um, but in the couple's these, uh, hopefully property these people division. Are, yeah, hopefully these people are dying off and they're older. Well, folks yeah, I mean, because yes. that's the letter yes. of the law, yeah. literally. I know, know, they're chattel British law and all this stuff presses. But, but you know what? The, the, um, Hopefully, the the young do, do they elect judges anywhere in uh, in uh, Ontario or Toronto? Or are they GTA? appointed? Are they appointed or elected any judges? Because I believe they're appointed. That's too bad. So they. What about be, in California? Many of them are elected here, so they have to be sensitive oh, okay. to the politically correct climate. So if people are caring about animals, they want to be reelected. Right. So there's a good argument for accountability, and not until you're, you're an old fart, seventy five. You get to stay yeah. and say, I don't care about dogs and cats. Get it. Don't waste my time in my courtroom. Well, there's a shift in Canada, That's too. Right. I mean, you know there's an animal law conference in Halifax coming up. And, yes. uh, are you going, yeah. Susanna? Are you going to that? I will be going, yes. Susanna, are you oh. going? Are we going to meet you there? I, I hadn't you're... thought about going. Maybe I should. Yeah. <laughs> well, William, you're not going. Don't mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> you're 
<laughs> but anyway, if you do go, oh, that's Susanna, amazing that you're going there. That's wonderful. Yeah. So if you do go, I'll, I'll probably find you. It's a very small group, but the thing is, what I really want to say is that it's shifting. I mean, here, animal laws. It's become, shifting. Yeah, and it's but Canada's picking up, and um, you know, there's some really good professors there at Dalhousie University who teach animal yes, law. So it's just, you know, it's it's we're getting it's getting better every day. So we gotta let. Susanna, we are. We are. It's very. It's very. It's very positive. I have to say. Yes, Susanna, you have any dogs or cats? I do, I do. Um, I have two dogs and a cat. So we have, we, we have two cats, and we'll be getting, my son is going to be getting a dog in the new year, so. Ah, uh, uh, lovely. Yeah, so, uh, any more questions, William? Well, oh, you, you know, one last her, thing. You should let her plug yeah. if she's got uh, a website or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. So if anybody in Canada, uh, especially in Toronto or Ontario, needs some help, some advice with pet custody, uh, or any pet issues, uh, how do they contact you? They can contact me through the website. So um, we have a website. It's animallawyers.ca. And we have an email that they can contact us through. So it's reception at animallawyers.ca. Uh, they can call us as well. Our phone number is area code 416-836-9971. And I'm happy to announce that I don't only deal with Toronto or Canada. I also have clients in the States. So I have um, clients in California, for example, wow. that, that retain me to help them try to resolve their disputes. So, yeah, so this is a wonderful um, opportunity to discuss, as I said to you, my favorite animal law topic. And, um, and it's also National Pet Memorial Day today. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I'd like to just, you know, say to everyone you. that has had a pet that they love yeah. dearly and has passed over the Rainbow Bridge that, um, that we can all acknowledge and, and give thanks to those pets that have passed on. Amen. Thanks for reminding Amen. us. Thanks for reminding us. Thank you very much, Susanna. We're out of thank time, but, but I would like to invite you to come back on the show another time. We can talk I'd about. I'd love to. Thank you very, very Wait much. Wait a minute, Susanna. Susanna, listen. We're not just saying that to be no, no. You know, official and PC. There's a warmth. I'm not PC. There's nothing yeah, about yeah. me that's there's PC. a warmth. There's a warmth to you. You're you're, you're really ushering in a new era of, of the law. No, seriously. And, and we thank should all you work. So much. Oh, hundred percent. We should work together. We have common interests, and it's. It's all We'd good. love to. I'd love to. Okay. Okay. Thank you very, very much. I'll be talking to you thank soon. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. Be well. Nice talking bye. to you. Bye. Bye bye, Susanna. Okay. Nice talking to you, too. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye bye. That was a great Okay. Call, we have Nancy. to wrap it up. Thank you very much, everybody, spending this time with us. We really, really appreciate it. We're out of time. If you liked the show, let, let us know. If you didn't like the show, let us know. Nancy at animallawlawyer.com. Susanna Gardner is amazing. If you need a lawyer, with pet custody, she's the one. What do you want to say, and William, if you, before we wrap it up? follow up, contact us, because Nancy's a global lawyer as well, okay? I am a global lawyer, she yes. Is. She's licensed and all the rest. And, and remember, be the person your dog thinks you are, or cat. Thank you very Thanks, much. Folks. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. You're listening to Animal News Magazine with Nancy DeFabio, only on L.A. Talk Radio.